to the Food Talk Show. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and for the next half hour or so we're going to be talking all things food and drink. I'm deliberately on my own today. Why am I on my my own? Well, it's because this is an extra special one-off show and uh, today I'm joined by an exceptional guest and I just wanted her all to myself. It's the um, the wonderful Sheila Dillon from Radio 4's The Food Programme, a legend. Welcome. (laughs) A legend, yes. yeah, yeah. I think that's footballers and such like. Possibly, yeah. um, in many respects, I think you're a big unsung heroine of the food sector to me, and I think we have so much to talk about. Um, and... Well, I hope so. I mean, I know from you know knowing you way back when that we share a lot of the same interests. We do indeed, and and um, I don't th- I don't think a lot of people you know know that you were actually born in Lancashire, in Horton. Horton, yes. Where there's Horton Tower. So, what we thought in honour of Horton, which is between Black, it's on the main road between Black, Preston. no Blackburn, Blackburn and, and, Preston. and Preston. Yeah, we bought. Look, can you see in the studio? We bought you loads and loads of different um, I know. Uh, Lancashire I was, I was foodie really stuff. Impressed. I've, in fact, I've already been eating some of the chorley yeah, cake. Yeah. So, so basically, we we got some chorley cake, which is additional Lancashire. Yeah. Why don't cake. people eat more? I mean, Eccles cakes have made it south, but chorley cakes are much nicer, in my personal yeah, opinion. My, that's my opinion too. Now, what we were going to do is we were going to you know, open a Chorley Cakes packet and, and eat one now, but you seem to have eaten yours already and we haven't even started. <laughs> I'm sorry to say that I have, yes, because your I had always this was... really good uh, uh, cappuccino. Yes. No, anyway, yes, but there's plenty else, isn't there? There is there's, plenty else. So, there's parking. No, yeah, we thought you might want to take that Sound effects. as Sound a little effects. present. Uh, do you like a bit of parking? Yeah, I love parking. So, so what's in parking? Well, it's usually oatmeal, um, treacle, Sorry. eggs... It's just a lovely sort of... Yeah, it's lovely. I mean, it's it's bonfire night food, really, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, it's autumn, bit, winter food. It's a bit late for that, but we thought you might like to yeah, do that at home. It's... But my favourite cheese, one of my favourite cheeses, of course, is Mrs Kirkham's Lancashire. Oh, yes. We have got the most beautiful slab of yeah, that you for do. you uh, to oh, taste. Oh. Now, uh, uh, you stole the trolley cake earlier, without asking, may I say. Uh, <laughs> but if you'll notice the uh, cheese, there's a little chunk yeah. taken out of the cheese because when I when I opened the packet, I couldn't resist it and I had okay. to take a little bit out. So, so, so there we go. Right. Mrs Kirkham's up in Lancashire, been making this cheese, the whole family been making this cheese for a very long time, haven't they? Uh, yes, and her mother made it before her. Mm. I mean, it's Graham Kirkham now, it her is. son, it is. who went into the motor trade and was at the time he was a bit interested in cheese to begin with. <laughs> but now he is. But now he is a great cheesemaker. It is a spectacular cheese, isn't it? Mm. You're munching your yes, way it through is. it. It um, really got, is. And um, most people know Lancashire cheese from, you know, the supermarket version. I don't want to malign supermarkets, but we malign the Lancashire supermarkets. cheese does not. You cannot right. do that in a big dairy. We malign supermarkets on this programme all day long. Yeah. We're quite happy with that. Right, well. um, only because it's difficult for them to keep it in a, in a really good condition. Well. And keeping cheese is, is important. Yeah. You but, must have got this from somewhere like Neil's Yard. Or, mm. oh, and and um, isn't it good? Great oh. long aftertaste. Okay. And, and I'm again, eating the last bit of my chorley cake with, with a piece of cheese. Mm. And the great thing about Lancashire cheese, it is the best uh, melting cheese, toasted cheese. Don't you think? So if you are making a spectacular cheese on toast, you should be using Lancashire cheese. You should. 
Um, it's just lovely. Mm, it is gorgeous, isn't it? And then there's um, something called Lancashire sauce, which I have to confess I have never, ever heard of. Have you? Not me. No. I think that... Um, I did taste it earlier. Is it all right? No. <laughs> it's awful. Oh, I don't right. even know what it's for. Um, I'll have to have a look at that later. Anyway, while we're munching our way through some stuff, um, I just wanted to give it a little bit of background um, on you, Sheila, really. Uh, you did an English degree at Leicester University. I did. And uh, you wrote for the university newspaper. Why did you, why did you feel obliged, you know, straight away as a student to, to actually start writing in the newspaper? Then oh, I, was, been oh, I, was, I was mad keen on... I mean, I loved writing at school. I mean, I wrote short stories and I was... I don't know, and I, I ended up in this college living for my first year in college that was aping a, a sort of Oxbridge college. Mm. <clears throat> and it really irritated me. And, uh, you know, they would say grace in Latin. I mean, these things would not bother me now, but they, when I was 18, they really... Why did that upset you? Because you're from a sort of working-class background think, and you felt I it was a bit so. I just or... The food was crap, you know, but we were supposed to sit down in this formal way and eat this rubbish. Mm. I just And so I wrote this front-page story attacking this... <laughs> And then I was called up to see the, the mistress of the college um, for writing this story about college hall. So slightly rebellious then, I'm guessing. I hope so. And, and then from there, I'm not sure if this is true, you went to, uh, to spend a year in Finland. Yeah, my first job was with the oh, British it's Council. freezing. Why did you go there? I mean, I, I wanted to get out of Britain. I mean, you know, it's, it was the working class thing. Because, you know, then, well, you, you sure you remember this, you were so easily... Pigeonholed. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, working class girl went to a red brick university. I'd had enough of it, and um, I just wanted to get out. And this, I saw this job advertised, and and I had the most wonderful year. And I, I in fact, it was a really important year. I, I realised into understanding something about food because I'd grown up in Lancashire eating fantastically good food. You know, just but not in any self-conscious way. I mean it just was the way we ate. You know, it was local. It was all the things that we now say are cooked but from it just scratch. was. Yeah. Cooked from scratch. My mother worked full time, but we still had cooked from scratch meals. You know, we picked things and you know, we went to the we went when the strawberry grower up on in the village, you know, had strawberries, we all, you know, you know, we ate seasonally because that's the way it was. Well, you couldn't get anything out of season anyway. No, exactly. Mm. And when I got to Finland, they ate like that too, but they took tremendous pride in it. You know, they, you know, they were maybe because I was an outsider, but you know, they they talked about it, and you know, we would go mushrooming, you know, and berry picking, and they wow. just there was a real joy in what they ate. And I thought, well, actually, isn't it funny, you know, that I I grew up around this kind of, you know, different, but this kind of food. But nobody ever, you know, like Mrs. Kirkham, when we first went to visit Mrs. Kirkham, Derek Cooper and I, you know, she she sort of said, you know, why do you want to see me? That's interesting, actually. Do you know what? I've never thought of that. So I was I was brought up in the early 60s um, in the in inner city London, as you say, sort of very working class and stuff. Actually, I don't think, I don't think food had joy, now you mention it. I had good, like you, my mum would cook from scratch, you know, when you got home and all that sort of stuff, and, and, and there wasn't exotic food, there just wasn't. But I don't think food was a joy, considered a joy, whereas now I, I quite often hear people and go, oh, I've had the most marvellous meal and it was amazing, it was like this, it was like that, and, I, and London's a great food scene, and, and around the rest of the, of, of the UK, of course. But actually going somewhere in those days where people had massive pride and joy and probably trying to show off for what they were doing for you. That's yeah, I think they probably did. I mean, my mother had sort of private, you know, with us. Yeah. She would 
she would come in from Alec Lord's van, you know, on Thursday nights, and she would say, he's got new, you know, the new potatoes oh, are right. in. No, no, nobody else in the family. I mean, she mm. was, she took joy in it. So therefore she, you know, Tossed although she transferred that to us, although my sister, you know, could live, and probably does live off bean sprouts and almonds. She has no interest in food at all <laughs> in, in Northern oh, California. So you're in Finland and you stayed there for a year. Yep. And then um, I know that you've spent quite a lot of time in in America, particularly New York. Why did why, did you did you just not want to be in the UK? I just didn't want to be in the UK. I couldn't see what kind of life I could live here in the UK. I just I didn't I didn't say to myself I'm going to live the rest of my life outside the UK. But I just didn't want to be here. It just seemed constricting, and and I just didn't you want just to be. didn't feel you could be yourself. No. And in the US, I, I mean, that was very freeing. I mean, you look at the US now and you think, you know, what a nightmare. But it wasn't a nightmare then. Well, at least it wasn't for me. And I just, I realised, you know, that I wasn't, you know, I'd, I'd come out of university thinking I was a fake, that I'd only got into university by some sort of trick. And, that you know, I was actually kind of dumb. And I just I didn't, I, you know, I came out sort of angry and feisty, but still with my confidence at a pretty low level. But, you know, and then, but, you know, being in the US, you know, I was in Indiana first. It was tremendously good for me. And so you felt felt that was very f- sort of free, free in a way that you could yeah. just, you, you had just much more opportunities. You, you could just, you know, suit yourself in whatever way. And obviously you must have been talented, Sheila, even if you didn't have the confidence in, in being a writer. Because, you know, you've got, you've got a job on a New York food magazine, Food Monitor, and you spent many years living in America. So you must have been talented in order to get to get. Well, no, I mean, I think, you know, if I look back at my life, I think my regrets are that I didn't, I didn't have confidence in myself. I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust my perceptions of the world, you know, and it's been a long haul to get to the point where I do. I think that's true for a lot of women, I think. I think so too. I, yeah. I really do, particularly the confidence. Um, I think yeah. a lot of women get held back because of their own confidence issues and then if somebody sort of batters that from the outside that that just makes it worse so so you know yeah. I think that can be a self-perpetuating thing but you, you're in America and and again you actively sought out a food magazine was that well, no just, that no was no thing? first I mean food was didn't come not? into it at all uh, to start with I mean I went I was at the University of Indiana you know I'd learned to cook really quite seriously at I'd had a group of friends and we we all read, we all bought Elizabeth David and we all learned to cook with her. You know, I, I knew how to cook simple things, but anyway, I learned to cook properly. And so in, in Indiana, you know, I had this file where I kept three by five cards on what I'd cooked for people. And that went on for a long time where I cooked, loved food, really sought out good things to, to cook with. But I never thought of it as something I could work in because I couldn't think, well, what, you would what, do. what would I do? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I was doing all kinds of editing, writing jobs, but and food was... So how did you get to Food Monitor? Was it just something that was, that was advertised in New York? Oh, no, not at all. It wasn't like that. It was... I'd had a baby, I, my son Tom, in New York, and um, he was... I was weaning him. It was... I don't know, he was probably eight or nine months old. And I was, of course mashing up yeah. fish and everything into as you, pota- in, as you do into <laughs> potatoes and there was this scandal on long island uh, they were using this pesticide aldicarb which had leached through uh, the soil into the aquifer and it got into the water supply and i thought you know i hadn't really engaged with this at all even though i'd read rachel carson's i mean how could i be so stupid i just thought 
well, if it's, if it's, you know, if it's survived enough to go in the water, making people sick, how much is in the potatoes? And I'm, you know, I'm giving this to my baby. Mm -hmm. And so I went off to look to the library to look at um, pesticide residue level. And I was so shocked by how bad the science was and how much involvement industry had in setting pesticide residue limits. So that I just, I just was in a rage, you know, the way that mothers do when they're, you know... Tiger mum. Well, you know, and exactly. I thought, okay, who's writing about it? You know, where, where... And the truth was, right then, there wasn't a lot of people writing about it. And fortunately, a friend of a friend in Washington, I, my friend said, ring this guy. And, and he said, well, why don't you volunteer, you know, if you're really so interested? I volunteered at this magazine called Food... I rang them up and said, look, I'm a journalist and I'm really interested and, you know, can I help you? And so they, I started to work there a bit and then I worked at this place in the in the Bronx. And so I offered to, to write for them a column called Food Biz, which was I would monitor all the financial press, you know, the, I would look for the, all the stories about the global food companies. And that was great training. And, you know, and, I wrote and so this, what were you trying to do? So sort of I was trying them, to see, trying to say to people, look, Don't this stuff the- is happening. You think that the, the world of economics and finance doesn't have anything to do with the daily, your daily life. But in fact, Coca-Cola, Nestle, these are huge companies which are, are they were this is what they are doing in the world. So people could make that link between People could make the link between, lives, yeah. you know, what was on their plates and what was happening globally. You know, because people, you know, they see things appearing in supermarkets. They see supermarkets getting more powerful. But but they, don't, they don't understand why. It was in that kind of atmosphere. Context. That, context, thank yeah, you, exactly. better. Yeah. Um, that I was doing this. And I think what I, what I hadn't realised about you, I've, I've met you a few times, is that I didn't realise you're that passionate, Sheila. Passionate and and that crusading, you're you're quite a crusader. <laughs> and I think, well, I, think I feel once, I feel once, like I feel very intensely that food matters. But I think uh, once uh, when we were talking uh, a long time ago, you were saying that when you were doing the food program, if you didn't actually have to get in contact with the legal department of the BBC, you didn't think the programs were very good. <laughs> well, we had a wonderful <laughs> because, <laughs> because because you want I think you wanted to be at that 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 just pushing it a little bit where you've got to check it out and you are allowed to say that um, because you you do feel passionately that, that that people are blindly putting things in their mouth and particularly their children and and we should we have the right to know exactly what what's well we it. haven't we have the right to know that we had a wonderful head of department called Caroline Millington. And I'd say, you know, we've we've got we've had a letter from, you know, whoever it was, Unilever, or um, <laughs> and uh, or we've had a call, and and she said, good, well, you must be doing something right then, um, and that was her attitude. And well, that's quite unusual, don't you think? It is unusual, yeah. Mm. So, so, so you were in America, then you go over to. The Radio 4 programme, the food programme? Did you go straight um, away? Well, from there. New York. Over I 20 did, years. But, you know, so I worked, they offered me a job. I didn't go on, fortunately, um, acting as a volunteer. I got a job as an <clears throat> as an editor there. But um, our apartment was too small and we had a toddler and and then Peter, my husband, got, got offered a really good job here to be a bureau chief of an American magazine. So... You thought, now I'm going to go back to the UK. Yeah, and even I'm confident though... enough to do it. That's really interesting, though. So you, so you didn't feel you could fit in the UK at one point. Mm. And then as things have happened to you, you, you felt you you grew into the fact that you could now live in the UK and stand yeah. up for yourself. Well, I mean, one of way. the things we missed out is that for a while I worked in publishing in Boston. 
and I was one of six women who won a really important sex discrimination case um, in the publishing industry. Class action against the company for sex discrimination. We and did. you won. And that was actually gender pay gap. It was. Well, then it was, you know, nothing could have been clearer. I mean, they honestly, they had no defence at all, actually. When was that? That was 80s. early 70s. No, 70s. no, it was early wow. 70s. They were paying the men two and a half times what they were paying the women. So you come over to the food programme writing, well, uh, not presenting in the first instance, were you? Mm. you, you were, uh, I was a reporter. At the time. Yes. Um, um, so you've got your favourite topic, almost, food. Yeah. Something that, that socially is important to you, domestically is important to you. You've got this experience from, from all around the world, it sounds like it, not just America. And you've obviously won um, a sex discrimination uh, um, you know, case, along with, with, with um, some other very brave ladies. You must have arrived there, back into the UK... Quite a formidable force, I would suggest. I know you're gonna. I know you're gonna dispute that, but you must be. I don't know. It's also. Do you think people are scared of you? <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Derek liked me. Derek. Derek, Derek was Cooper. really Derek. Sorry, Derek yes. Cooper, who was the presenter of the food program, the guy, the man who set up the food program in '79. He was really, you know, he was an old-fashioned socialist, you know. He loved to eat and drink and, you know, mm. and, you know, he lived in a grand house in Richmond, but he came from a working-class background. And he really liked the fact that I was interested in the economics of... Because he wasn't, you know, he just would... So your angle was different So my angle his, was different from his, and, yeah. they, and they gelled really well my, as a well, reporter. But, you know, I, within a year I became a producer. So he was... You know, he he built helped build my confidence, and I he wasn't threatened by my being no, because forceful because he's good at what he does, so he yeah. doesn't have to feel threatened. I'm, I would no. suggest most beautiful voice, Derek Cooper. Yeah, he did a beautiful, beautiful, voice. beautiful voice. Yes. Sometimes I'd give him a script, you know, notes for his script, and I, you know, I'd say, "Oh, I'm a bit worried about this, Derek," and he'd say, "You wait till I get the golden tones on this lump; it'll be all right." <laughs> So just talk his way around it, really, basically, <laughs> smooth his way around it. Now, you've been there for 20 years. Longer than 20 years, yeah. You don't feel the, 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 the need to move? I mean, I would suggest that food is more interesting than ever. Yeah, but where where else do you get, to, as a journalist, to talk, um, to investigate, to celebrate the wide range of things that we do on the food programme? You know, if you can convince the other members of the team, and if you can convince them that you know, this is a good idea, then then we make it. I mean, I'm utterly... I'm irritated by food as pure entertainment. I mean, it just gets on my nerves. I find it embarrassing. Uh, just explain that to me. And again, I haven't really realised this before with you, is that, that you are very much an investigative journalist. I think that's how you... Is that how you well, do I, yourself? Yes, I suppose. I mean, I'm not saying you're, that's you're trying bent. to expose something, but you're trying to understand it, get underneath it. I want to understand it, yeah. yeah. You know, television is, to a great degree, about... about you know, entertainment. Yeah. And that, that irritates me, really. Yeah. I love the fact you're irritated by a lot of things. Marvellous. <laughs> um, do you feel still feel very strongly about women's rights? I do, but I'm, I'm slightly worried that I've got a bit comfortable in, you know, in my, you know... Um, because, I mean, there's been, as, you, as everybody knows, a lot of issues at the BBC. I mean, Carrie Grace. I'm too comfortable about it. I, you know, I, the, at the BBC, you know, we're all in our little silos... You know, there's a, I think, you know, the perception of the BBC, you know, especially as promulgated by newspapers is that, you know, it's this rife with 
self-serving corruption and, you know, it's a terrible place. Well, it isn't. You know, there are, you know, there are plenty of bad things going on at the BBC, but I'm sure, you know, as there is any big organisation. But what I see is that there is this huge... What I see is a huge number of producers of all ages, you know, 22 to 60, who just have fantastically dedicated sense of public service. And there was this constant reminder that we existed on public money. Yeah. And that's still there. Yes, of course. Yeah. Food and health. Now, um, I, I, I know that you were diagnosed with um, bone marrow cancer um, and you were told that there was little else that you could do probably than other than to have chemo. How did you deal with that in terms of food? And, and, and so you were saying earlier about your son, you suddenly read about all these things and say, oh, actually, I'm going to investigate this myself. I'm going to make my mother. How did you approach that? And, and what have you done? Well, with rage to start with, you know. The, and, but I just, I got hold of this book, which I couldn't, I didn't have, I, I just didn't have the strength to read, but my husband read it, um, by um, a scientist, uh, Sir Van Schreiber and sort of puts together the, the science. And it's, you know, it's not just humans, the science on humans, yep. but what various things besides chemo affect and are good um, are anti-cancer. It's called anti-cancer, actually. And so I, I, Peter read it and then he, you know, sort of, you know, gave me the information. And the temptation when you're really ill is to, um, you know, be a patient, you know, follow your doctor's instructions, and that, which is not a good plan. I mean, my only advice to anybody with cancer is don't be a patient, you know. So uh, as a mindset. Think for yourself. As a mindset. Mindset. So what came out of that book was that I should have a diet much higher in, um, you know, the cabbage family, the whole cruciform family. I should eat a lot of mushrooms. Um, I should, you know, the onion family was important. Wow. And so that, you know, I just upped that. I found somebody who... um, makes cold-pressed broccoli juice, you know, so I, I drink that. But most importantly, I found this research about uh, turmeric and, uh, well, actually, curcumin, which is made from turmeric, and I take a very high dose of that um, every day. And fortunately, I have this open-minded oncologist who, at BART, um, Jamie Cavanaugh, and he was interested in the research and he already had another patient who'd read the same research, who'd come to the end of her chemo, and you know it wasn't working, and had gone on this, and he he, he was monitoring her too, so it concentrated my mind, you know. But I, I mean, I didn't give up drinking wine or having <laughs> thank goodness for that, nor meat, nor uh, cheese, nor let's have another bit of Mrs. Kirkham's, but you know, it just made it it taught me something about about medical systems and about how you really you know have to think for yourself. And I think there's a lot of... I'm sorry, I'm talking my mouth full. I've got Mrs. Is Kirkham's... Right I'm going to talk with my mouth full now. Lovely. We've come... Must mm. have come to the end. Mm. Nobody was going to stick with it this long. But, um... Uh... But nowadays, I think there's a lot more. I think people are beginning to understand a huge link between health and what you're eating. Yeah, and we've been making programs about it. I mean, yeah, at last, you know. at last, you know that there are these young students who are really pressuring medical schools to change the curriculum. Yeah, as they should, because some, I mean, lots of doctors don't know anything about nutrition or and now and now no. it's beginning to people are beginning to understand that there's, there's a huge link, and that's not necessarily about weight or anything like that. It's just about health. Really realizing, yeah, about health and yeah. what, what you're doing. Do you think well, I mean, there are people like you know Rangon Chatterjee, 
and Rupi Ojala. I mean, there's another podcast, hmm. you know, The Doctor's Kitchen. Hmm. I mean, it's, young people are really interested in that. Yeah. The other, the, the downside that we, we did discuss this in one of our podcasts a few weeks ago <clears throat> is that it feels like a bit like, do you remember in the Victorian times where people used to be, you know, or before then, people would be lining the street and selling all these quack Oh yeah, <laughs> medicines oh, yeah, that were cause you know this is going to cure this and that. Oh, we, absolutely. We do, you do have to be a bit careful because there are definitely you a have load to of be, people. You have to be really intelligent. Oh, of course you do. Yeah. But I mean, you know, why would you abandon your intelligence mm. while looking at something that is going to help your health? You know, you can't go on the you know and just just absorb all this stuff. No. You have to think. You have to think Thinking's a real pain. So, uh, gender equality champion. Food and health, I think, is very interesting. Uh, the future. Are you going to be sticking with the food programme? Are you going to be writing <laughs> There's still? There's a question. More? Well, we just got the contract. You know, we had to bid for our, the right to go on making. I thought it was an institution not allowed to replace the food programme. Well, I mean, it was, you know, they, it was up for bid. I mean, they're, really? they're selling... I mean, they're, a lot of Radio 4 is going to be up for bid. And we were up for bid. Anyway, we got it, so... Thank goodness. Um, it's part of my life. <laughs> I'm seriously not joking well, about that. It's part of my life, the food programme. Um, so we're going on with that. But, yeah, you know, I think about what next. But you've still got the passion to, to do well, the programme. Yeah, obviously, so Dan, I do, Dan obviously I mean, does a lot of the presenting now. and you've got Dan's all doing it and we have two new presenters who are doing... We have a specialist drinks presenter, Jager Wise, mm. you know, who founded Wild Card Brewery, who's mm-hmm. brilliant. And Leila Kazim, who's a Instagrammer, world traveller, street food, you know. I don't know. You know, I feel like time to move on, actually. Time to do move you? on. I wonder what you're going to do next. It frightens me a little bit. Because it feels to me like whatever you put your mind to, you're going to take it seriously and, and rattle a few cages. And, you know, why not? Not in, not, well, I mean, not at in my, a deliberate, at my not in a deliberate age, way. But... You know, well, at my age, you think, if you're not going to be brave now, when are you going to be brave? I mean, there's not a lot of time <laughs> left, is there? Well, I hope there is. <laughs> I hope there is. Um, and then just just one final thing. Any food trends that you're expecting to see over the next God. few years? Come I hope on. food... I mean, one of the things that really depresses me is this mass abandonment in Britain of red meat. You know, that this these, all these documentaries and studies which take the, the US model as the model, when in fact in Britain we have fantastically good models which could lead to much more sustainable meat mm. production. So... I'd like to see a trend to eating really good red meat that would, you know, preserve our countryside, not add to global warming and be good for us. I mean, but, I've, I've uh, got a know, couple pros- of um, really nice steaks that I bought the other week. Now, I don't eat a lot of red meat at all, but I'm going to eat those on Friday night. I've got a really nice bottle of red wine. I've got some great local vegetables and I'm really, really looking forward to it. And for me, that's how you should eat meat. It's a massive treat and make sure you can get, you know, the the, the most sustainable that you can find and really honour it, I would say, I and, and, and enjoy it. But I don't eat it a lot, but I don't, I don't want to I not mean, eat, I don't it. eat it. I don't eat it a lot. And I was really interested because I, I almost didn't notice it at the time. A few weekends ago, I was in Milan, first time ever, for an award. You know, I didn't win it, but, you know, I had a lot of fun. And uh, I ate all these, you know, wonderful meals, celebratory meals. And I looked back at it and realised that I'd probably eaten maybe three ounces of meat the whole three days because it was used as a flavouring. Yeah, absolutely. Not... Yeah, as a thing, is, and it's not as the centrepiece. No. 
Yeah, well, I think we're going to see much more of that. Well, um, Sheila, I, I know you get embarrassed by this, but you're you are really great inspiration to me um, over the years. I love the food program, and I know lots and lots of people do. So don't you dare let it go to anybody else. Be <laughs> really, really upset. Well, I'll um, tell tell the food program team to listen. Yeah, yes. and even if you even if you sort of you know decide you're not going to do it, just do the odd bit of presenting because it's the voice you've got. A, you've got a great voice, sort of interesting mix of Lancashire and. Irish, slightly American, American. slightly yeah. Irish voice. It's quite difficult to pin down. So, um, so thank you so much for joining us. It was a great pleasure. Shall thank we? Um, shall we crack into some um, Kirkhams? Uh, in a, in a, oh yes, yeah, some Kirkhams. Let's have it with a bit off. of parking. Shall we? Let's have a little bit of parking as well. So you can you can un, you can un, you can unfold that. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, I'm just going to finish off the program while you're doing that. Is that okay? Right. Is that excellent? Is the yeah, sound effects are right. Yeah. No. No. Do carry on. So uh, you've been listening to the Food Talk Show, and as you know, we're syndicated to radio stations across the UK. And further afield, as well as being available on Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, iTunes and the podcast app on your phone. If you want to recommend any future guests, somebody doing something groundbreaking in the food sector, well, they're obviously not going to be as impressive as Sheila, but, you know, we can try. Get in touch with us via Twitter. Or if you want to listen to any of our hundreds of podcasts, go to foodtalk.co.uk. Have a good week. (laughs) 